Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. This episode features a team that changed the way training systems and support were being competed in the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center's Simulators Program Office. Program Manager Jacob Kolb and Contracting Officer Dustin Tatum led the C-17 Training Systems Acquisition Team in its use of Federal Acquisition Regulation 16.5 Fair Opportunity Selection Procedures for a program valued over $900 million. Historically, competitive acquisitions in Sims took 300-plus days to award. The C-17 team completed its FAR 16.5 Fair Opportunity Selection in 144 days and passed on lessons learned to other programs in SIMS to improve their award schedules to the range of 60 to 90 days. Jake and Dustin discuss how they tailored their selection criteria for a best value decision. They also cut down the acquisition timeline significantly by documenting that the team may do interchanges with one, some, none, or all offers. They stress the importance of following your process, communicate with stakeholders, and of course, have fun. Shout out to Major Select Matt Albers, who was the contracting officer and change agent on the KC-135 BOSS or BOOM Operator Simulator System effort mentioned by Jake and Dustin in this episode. Welcome Dustin and Jake to the podcast. Hello, how are you Amber? Good. So first of all, we got to start with, um, I got to give Dustin a plug because he was actually the person that came up with the name of this podcast, The Contracting Experience. Uh, we had worked together in previous offices and I sent an email out to, to some, of the, some of my people and he um, was one of the people that responded and came up with the name. So, so props to Dustin it's on been, that uh, It's been cool to see the name out there a lot. So we appreciate your contribution to the name and now today your contribution to this episode. So first question, Jake, can you tell listeners about the scope of the C-17 training systems acquisition, what the original acquisition strategy was, and then what strategy the team ended up executing? Yeah, thanks, Amber. So the C-17 training system, uh, it essentially comprises of air crew and maintenance training systems, uh, and it encompasses CLS or contractor logistics support, uh, instruction training for the air crew training systems, change management, obsolescence and concurrency modifications, training system support center, uh, site activation, site relocation, contract transition, and then an FMS CLIN for the Royal Australian Air Force uh, with the opportunity to take on new FMS countries, you know, if the requirement exists. It is a sustainment or a sustainment contract. The estimated value of it was $987 million. In general, it's a services and supply contract. So initially, uh, in December of 16, as a a recompete of the existing contract, we went through an ASP and we were utilizing the FAR Part 16 procedures, but operating a lot like the Part 15 DOD source selection procedures. And we'll get into that a little bit more in this podcast, but the customer, Air Mobility Command, decided to have a change in requirements in addition to what they were already asking for in February. So 
the simulator division decided to go on a strategic pause uh, to look at the requirements and how we were going to rack and stack them. So in May, we did a Delta ASP to the Milestone Decision Authority, and we looked at opportunities to save some of the schedule that we lost due to the strategic pause. So that's where it was looked at utilizing the FAR Part 16.5 procedures, the Fair Opportunity Selection procedures. And we looked at it initially, but given that it was relatively a, a new concept within the simulators division, uh, leadership wasn't really comfortable with the magnitude of this contract at that time uh, with us doing a, a fair opportunity selection. Well, during that strategic pause, the KC-135 BOSS program uh, went through a Part 16 fair opportunity selection and they did really well. So as we presented that to you know, our leadership, they were a little bit more comfortable in us executing the 16-5 the procedures and that's the direction we went with. Yeah, so it, it's good to note, and Dustin, I'll, I'll hand this over to you, that the, this contract was a task order off of the TSA-3 uh, MAC IDIQ. Right, right. so um, as Jake was saying, originally this was a 15-3 type selection under a IDIQ. The contract itself was a $20.9 billion multiple award IDIQ with 20 plus contractors. Um, th there's no specific criteria laid out under the IDIQ that says how you have to select contractors when doing your fair opportunity selection. So uh, by virtue of that, we have the ability or we had the ability to basically tailor whatever selection criteria we saw fit. Um, Jake alluded to this KC-135 boss team. They were a smaller task order, I want to say a couple million, 20 million maybe. We were 987 million, so there was a little bit of hesitation making that big jump, but the success that KC-135 had and how they tailored their selection kind of gave us the, gave everyone kind of the, the feel or the, the confidence to go ahead and move forward with a 16-5 selection on, T, on C-17 that was tailored away from 15-3. So the basic IDIQ outlined all the T's and C's and all the documents, but it was basically fair game for us to lay out whatever selection criteria we thought was necessary for a best value decision. And we did that and we tailored it significantly uh, prior to the solicitation release. Yeah, and what I found interesting going into that new strategy is before, you know, we were modeling our uh, evaluation criteria and process after the DOD source selection procedures. Uh, well, again, it was relatively new, uh, the 16505, and the AFMC guiding principles is what we modeled our processes after and utilized that document. And again, it was dated August of 2017, so it was a relatively new concept for AFMC as a whole. Yeah, and so you mentioned that guide. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it gives teams a good idea of you know the different nomenclatures of like the FAR 15 and the FAR 16.5, you know the request for proposal versus fair opportunity proposal request. FOPR gives you a comparison of the FAR 15 procedures versus the 16.5 procedures. So, so we'll put that in the show notes. So Jake, how did the team go about implementing a different strategy and did you face any barriers in doing so? So yeah, with any change in strategy, you're always going to be faced with, you know, certain level of challenges, I guess. Um, 
I don't think we faced really any significant barriers because uh, the team really paid attention to the 16-5 guidance and we ended up developing a process uh, that I would consider ironclad uh, and we made sure that we consulted with the Acquisition Center of Excellence and vetted it all the way up through the PEO uh, to ensure that you know our process fit the model and was going to meet the intent of acquiring you know the services that we were for the C-17 training system. One of the things that we did have to do was tailor the process in such a way that allowed us to take advantage of the 16-5 construct. Uh, that was a learning curve. So I, I would say for a barrier, maybe it wasn't a barrier, more of a challenge. Uh, that was, I guess, a difficult thing for people to become comfortable with outside of the box sort of thinking, um, a newer concept to AFMC and of course to, to simulators. So that was more of the challenge was just getting through the new process and how to tailor it for our requirements. Right, because as you guys were becoming more educated on the process, you also had to educate, you know, whether it was moving through the um, review processes or the people that you had to deal with uh, to execute it um, in order to make sure they felt comfortable with it right. since it was a little different than what they had normally done in Sims. Right. Yeah. And I'd, I'd say too, I mean, a program this size at 987 million, everyone's looking to be agile, but no, I don't think at that point we really understood what what, uh, how we would get to best value determination on a program that size without doing 15-3 source selection. So a lot of the hesitation that people had was how do we really get to determine a best value decision if we're not doing the full up 15-3 source selection. So there was some wargaming, there was some different scenarios thrown out and consultation with legal and policy to make sure that at the end of the day, if we did these things, we would have what we could consider a best value decision. Yeah, so that's that's a good point. And then also it was changing the mindset of the evaluation team. A lot of the, the source selection team that we had selected uh, to get through our fair opportunity selection, they were used to the part 15 construct. And what we had to do was, you know, whether it was a daily scrum or a weekly meeting, meeting with legal on a weekly basis and as well as our leadership of course mm -hmm. uh, we just had to keep reiterating the intent of our process to ensure that they were evaluating it as we had laid it out uh, within our selection plan i think that's a really good point you know it's one thing to change you know your your evaluation strategy or contract strategy but you made a good point on communication is key and that communicating with the other stakeholders is, is key in executing, um, doing something different than you normally have. So Dustin, you took on the contracting officer role of the C-17 training systems program at the release of the fair opportunity proposal requests. How did the selection process differ from FAR 15 procedures you've worked previously? Right, so kind of as we discussed earlier, the, the multiple award IDIQ really lays the framework or, or maybe it, it it gives us the ability to tailor whatever we need to do uh, to determine a, a, a best value decision and, and to do a fair opportunity selection. So what we did is we tailored it to so, so that we had gates in our source selection. So basically there were two factors that served as gates 
when we receive proposals, if the people, if the offers met those gates, they go for they they move forward in the selection process. If they don't pass those gates, we don't ever we don't continue to evaluate them. So that was that was definitely different. Uh, we were basically structuring a a selection to where we didn't have to evaluate anyone after a certain point if they didn't meet the criteria. Compared to the 15-3 source selection, we would have had to continue to evaluate them and continue to write ENs, do a competitive range, all those things. So our fair opportunity selection, we didn't have any competitive range. Uh, we didn't have we didn't have any final proposal revisions. Uh, our source selection, our, our fair opportunity selection document basically outlined that we could go into interchanges with one, some, none, or all offers. So as opposed to the 15-3 where you have to write up your, I, your ENs and go to each offer, we clearly stated if we don't think we need to go to everyone, we are not gonna go to everyone for an interchange. We'll, basically just go to the, the people or the offers that we think we need to go to that, that meet a best value, that, that are showing us a best value decision. And we didn't need to set up any sort of competitive range. We didn't need final proposal revisions. And that significantly cut down time in our selection. Yeah, and that one, some, none, or all, and, and Dustin, help me out here. I'm trying to recall, but the Ian from requirement of the 15-3 to the IN interchange notice is really what allowed us the opportunity to streamline a lot of that evaluation process. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we were able to make the decision as we went through the evaluation as to which offers we thought deserved or, or should have been given a interchange to address issues in their proposal or clarifications in their proposal. And by doing that, we saved ourselves a huge amount of time because we could make a decision as we went through this process of who to evaluate and what aspects we needed to look at further. So I know we've touched on this um, some, but Dustin, what worked well under the FAR 15.5 Fair Opportunity Selection Procedures? And what were some of the challenges the acquisition team faced? So what worked well under 16.5 was the criteria that we said that we reserve the right, the PCO reserves the right to conduct interchanges with one, some, none, or all offers. So that was something that really worked well because as we went through this process, we could make that decision as we were writing our, our interchanges, our INs, and, and that really helped guide us as we went through this evaluation. And also, the other thing that really helped was the gates. So instead of evaluating everyone for all the, all the factors, we had these gates. And if they didn't pass those gates, then we didn't continue to evaluate them. So on an effort like this, the technical proposal was something like 200 plus pages. If we just look at the aspects in their proposal that served as gates and they passed, then they they go forward in the evaluation. If they didn't, then we no longer have to evaluate them. Uh, so that saves the evaluation team from reading more pages, that, it, that, that saves time writing ENs. And then when we got into the, the trade-off phase of our selection, so there were other factors that were, that were structured to where you could trade off 
for those factors, it, if, if someone presented a better solution or a better approach than other offers, we could go to that, all, that one offer or those few offers, whatever we determined was necessary. So even in the trade-off phase of our selection, we could determine which offers we wanted to continue to evaluate. You know, you ask for what you need, because if you ask for more than what you need, then obviously you're going to have to evaluate that. So we did really well at refining and ensuring that our requirements were as succinct as possible. You know, not everything in the PWS or SAL needs to be evaluated. Also, what we did well was configure, configuration control of our documentation. We laid in a, you know, a file plan and our, all of our evaluators were able to access and get to their documentation and we had a process for which we were able to organize that evaluation criteria. So it allowed for us, uh, myself as the chair and Dustin as the, as the contracting officer, to be able to go find things and know where it's located versus having to deal with a cumbersome file plan. So one other thing I'd mention too is when we were making that one sum, none or all decision of, as to who to go to, we kind of realized that we wish we had more information in our, in our evaluation criteria at, at those points so that we could consider, consider as much information as possible when making that decision. Uh, so that was just one of the lessons learned we provided to other programs. The C-130 trainers was coming up behind us and we mentioned to them that, you know, hey, maybe you want to consider these things at this point in time so you have more information at your, at your uh, decision point. Um, so that actually was given to them as advice and they considered, for instance, they considered price also in their gates. So that helped them and they actually did their source selection faster than ours. They did it 40 days, we did it 144 days, and they did it in, I believe, 80-something days. So it was just one of those things that as you go through the process, you realize, oh, I really kind of wish I had more information and to make this go even faster. <laughs> yeah, shaving uh, half of the AFL-CMC standard metric is yeah. not good enough, is it? Let's, <laughs> let's go faster. <laughs> well, I think that was a great thing that you guys talked about is you guys sat down with other teams in Sims and, and now this is gonna be blasted out so hopefully other other people can hear about it too. And so, you know, you talked about C one thirty and then earlier you'd also mentioned B one got to about sixty something days, right. which is huge. Right. Um, when looking at what had historically been used with the FAR fifteen procedures, you know, I think was sometimes close to a year. Um, so so that's awesome. The other thing I, I was gonna to mention too is we asked for paper proposals, which in hindsight, we should have never done. I mean, electronic proposals, make it easy on the team. Get electronic proposals, st stuff like that, you don't have to do under 16.5 and, and it just saves time and effort for the team. Um, and in their backs. As well as, as well as the, <laughs> yeah, as well as the page, page count, you know? I mean, what do you really need to determine a, a best value uh, for your effort? So that's evaluation criteria as well as what do you want to see in the proposals? Tailor it down to what you really think is necessary. Yeah, so that, that's a good point. I know it's uh, you know sort of small or people could consider it small thing is whether to have a paper electronic, but not only do you have to carry these boxes of proposals upstairs potentially, but then you have to control the documentation and ensure that it's not getting outside of 
whatever facility you may be uh, conducting the evaluation. And then even further, you want to make sure that you're dispositioning the you know, sure. material correctly. So that's a that's another complexity that, like you're saying, and you know, one or two copies is probably sufficient, and the rest of it could be electronic because they're already giving it to you that way. So, good point, Dustin. So, in using um, the 16.5 procedures on the C17 training systems efforts, how did industry respond um, to using those procedures? Well, uh, so we did debriefs after, and I won't get into much detail, but there was a lot of shock kind of because you know we we laid out our selection criteria that said if if you don't pass these factors you're not getting looked at if we don't want to have an have a discussion or an interchange with you you're not getting an interchange and they knew that at industry day that was communicated routinely but it really played out and some of the feedback from industry was kind of the result of well I never even got an IN well, that's because we didn't think it was necessary. And so their, whatever their evaluation was at the time they were done being evaluated was what it stood as. And they never got another look. And so you can imagine some of the contractors were thinking, man, I got to go tell my upper management, we never even got, we never even got past this point or we never even got looked at. That kind of sent some shockwaves and we even had uh, one of the offers say that this actually sent shockwaves throughout the industry. Yeah, or was it shivers? Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> no, that's, that's a key point, Dustin. And I had only been a part of, I think, three of the industry days, and one of which was when we shifted our strategy prior to there. You know, oftentimes in the industry day, you, you have significant dialogue questions with respect to the uh, the requirements. I didn't experience many questions prior to our shift in strategy about our process. It was well understood by industry. And then when we shifted our strategy to a fair opportunity selection, there was a lot of questions regarding process and less about the requirements. So I think it didn't really hurt us in that regard, but they were definitely concerned, especially about our gate. Uh, there were you know, many questions during, I think it was an industry day in Orlando at ITSIC. And, uh, they were really concerned about whether or not they were going to make it past that gate. And we had to, uh, to reiterate and, and quote our procedures or our, or our, um, our process uh, multiple times. And, and you could tell that was definitely a concern uh, by all the you know, folks at the table. But on the flip side, we also had, feed, we had positive feedback from ministry that they really appreciated how this source election went because they didn't have a, a, a team of proposal team basically waiting around to answer ENs and to address everything that could be asked of them and as well as do final proposal revisions. So they actually appreciated that. We did the evaluation, we're done, we move on. We did it in 144 days. They would much rather move on to the next thing and go capture more business as opposed to wait around for a year and a half. So. There was positive feedback too, even though they didn't win. They said, oh, "I'm glad I'm not manning a team to sit around and and wait on this." And that is, I think, the key point for industry because they're oftentimes asking us to go faster. Why is it taking mm -hmm. 300 plus days to get through this source selection? They're retaining, you know, manpower on staff to, mm -hmm. and, and by allowing us to go faster, uh, utilizing the 16.5. You're right. Uh, they did. 
tend to grin at that a little bit because now they can free up those resources. So what advice would you guys give other teams that want to execute a different way of doing business on their acquisition? You know, we, we met with multiple teams. I know I personally met with four or five teams and gave them some advice, you know, after we awarded. And I, I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give a team, and, and it's what I gave them, uh, but going forward is just follow your process. Uh, that's key. That's the number one thing that you can do in developing a, a uniquely tailored process to your requirements is making sure that you follow it and having procedures in place that allow the team to see what that process is, both in words and in flow charts or whatever it may be to articulate uh, to your evaluation team. And then also collaborating with the user to ensure that what you're doing is well understood. Uh, you know, oftentimes they're not part of the source selection process, but to ensure that your requirement or their requirements are being met, uh, they need to have some some comfort that you know your process is truly uh, intended to do just that. So another thing that our team uh, did really well, you know, when we shifted strategy, we we got offsite. Uh, we went to DAU and utilized their facility to to war game and whiteboarded the process when you know it wasn't clearly defined at first. So we had to get together as a team and have those spirited conversations about what our intent was, and and it had to be fit within the context of the requirements. So how, how are we going to meet uh, Air Mobility Command's requirements and still be able to operate efficiently through our evaluation process? And it was an excellent opportunity for us to, to get out and really learn each other too, or you know, learn about each other and you know, going into the source selection, which is already a little bit of a stressful period uh, for some folks. So. Yeah, if, if we could pass that on to the teams, uh, it's very important to spend that time in, in really developing the process together uh, as a team. Another, you know, I guess example of a good lessons learned for us um, is something that we did really well, and we organized ourselves like its own organization. And we treated our, you know, daily routines um, systematically, and, and we had you know, routine meetings, and we had a, a method by which we executed our selection process. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, to Jake's point, being having a team that is dedicated to to making a, a a fair opportunity selection, and that means going through the process, identifying what is truly needed. How do you really want to see proposals? How do you want to evaluate? How are you How are you going to document it? going through all of those steps, being dedicated to, to, to selecting a best value offer and executing it, you know, just like you said you were going to do it in your solicitation. And also echoing exactly the same thing you're putting in your solicitation, going out to industry and saying, this is how we're going to do this so there aren't any surprises. I think, you know, what we did on this source selection we really tried to figure out what is necessary, but then also, you know, how do we get from point A to point B? And it played out the way that we thought it would. Uh, it it really did. I don't think I don't think we really had an idea of what the time frame would be, but we were at 144 days we awarded from solicitation, and we all kind of looked around and we were like, that that really worked. It it was one of those agility 
things that we did and we went out there and wanted to do it and we we tried to follow the process and at the end of the day it worked it it worked the way exactly the way that we thought it was going to work yeah so for a timeline uh, we did initially have an estimate on when we thought we were going to award and it was well into 2018 we were going to be late we were going to be late yeah. and we found opportunities to to pull that back to the left and we took advantage of yeah. it and I think the key thing too, like we mentioned, is getting all the stakeholders. If you're doing something like this, you have to have your policy, you have to have your legal in line, you have to have your your senior leadership, whoever whoever is gonna be overseeing this on board with what you're doing. Hopefully, you know, once you get that process laying flat, it's it's gonna run its course and it's gonna run its course the right way. Yeah, one thing I can remember is, you know, because we incorporated uh, the expertise from the ACE and our leadership and, and people that had, you know, gone through 165 uh, fair opportunity selections in the past, the excitement of what we were doing, you know, was felt by all. So everybody had buy-in. We and had we, top we cover too. It. Yeah, I mean, we did. there's a lot of times we were briefing senior leadership, whether it be in business clearance or just updates and everybody just kind of was like, well, we're just going to see how this goes. And if it, if it doesn't work, then now we know why it didn't work. So it, it was, it was nice to hear that, that they had our top cover and that we could execute this and make it go fast. And if we ran into issues, they had our back. Yeah. I think to quote, I'm not going to quote the individual. We'll leave that person anonymous, but, uh, after briefing one of our, you know, major, uh, reviews uh, one of the chair members said this is going to be fun yeah and it was and we actually put that up on fun. the board as a quote this is going to be fun yeah. and it, it was it surely was well and as you mentioned i mean teams should have fun with it you know this is how, how often do you have a chance to be creative and in, in acquisition so this is a chance where you can look at look at your requirements look at your what you want to actually evaluate it on what your risks are what's necessary and then be creative in how you can work through that process and how you guys had talked about doing the wargaming, you know, put, put your process out in a flow chart and then wargame, okay, well, what do we do if this happens? What do we do if this happens? Um, and, right. and I know your team even got leadership involved in that once you worked through it, which I think helped them have a little bit of fun too. Absolutely, yes it did. Well guys, I wanna thank you for being on the podcast and sharing your story with the workforce. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience Podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.